Thank you very much. It's, I love coming to Somerset West. It's, uh, it's always a privilege to travel and see what God's doing in the other congregations. I'm in that. Um, for those of you who don't know, I um, um, planted a church out of a church called Jubilee Community Church in Cape Town. Planted a church in Musenberg called the Bay Community Church. It's still going. Hallelujah. And uh, um, God blessed us there for 20 years. Um, when we planted, we handed it over. Then I had this unique meeting in Sunningdale some years ago, totally from left field. And if you know Andrew at all, and he hears a prophetic word and he thinks it is God, you're in trouble. And I was in trouble that Sunday. He came, he said, we need to get coffee. I didn't understand getting a coffee with the Josh Jenner, what that meant. I now know. <laughs> and we had a coffee and he said, okay, this is what happened. When can you start? I said, whoa, 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 Andrew, you don't know me. He said, you'll be surprised. And from then on, I've minded my P's and Q's because, you know, I don't want to cause any trouble. So I want to speak to you this morning about the role the Holy Spirit plays in our walk with God. There's a, an expression, I wish it was mine, it's not, you know, preachers when they, they get an expression and it's good for the first time, they say, somebody, you know, they name him, said this. And then the second time we use it, we'll say things like, I've heard it said. The third time we use it, we'll say something like, I read it somewhere before. And then the fourth time we say, it's like ours. So I'm being honest, this is not mine. I wish it was, but this is the truth. The, the first person to be neglected in the church of Jesus Christ is often the third person. You know, Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians, and there's a benediction at the end of chapter 12, and he says this, now may the, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we've all experienced that. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, yeah? Thank you so much for grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, and the love of God the Father. Thank you, Father, that you love the world so much you send Jesus. And then it says, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And I'm not advocating that all we ever do from now on is pray to the Holy Spirit. But we've got to learn to develop a, a, a personal relationship with him. He's not it. He's God. You know, I've heard in meetings say, when it happens, when it comes, who's it? Now, when he comes. Now, he's present this morning. We brought him. You brought him. He doesn't waft around in the atmosphere. <laughs> Called the Holy Ghost, you know, oh, glory to God. He lives in people. And it's up to us as individuals how much of him we have by way of the involvement he wants in our lives. You have as much of him as you want. If you want more, you can get more. Because there is a never-ending supply of the presence of God available to us. He'll never run dry. You'll not one day, like we experience these days, turn on the tap and the water doesn't come out. No, it's never like that. If you go to God and you say, Lord, here I am, he will come and refresh you. He's more passionate to refresh us 
and speak to us and minister to us, then we are to go to him and ask. He desperately wants to minister to us. When Jesus got baptized, um, the Gospel of Mark says this, when, when Jesus came up out of the water, so if anybody, you know, doesn't believe in baptism, that's quite a good sign, coming up out of the water means I was in the water, you know, like wet, very wet. Up, it says this, Mark says, and I saw heaven being torn open. And the Holy Spirit's eagerness to come to Jesus so that Jesus could begin his ministry. He did no miracles until the day he got baptized in water. And then the Bible says, and the Spirit of God descended on him in the form of a dove and a voice from heaven. I didn't get a voice from heaven when I got baptized in water. But the voice said this, this is my beloved son whom I love. Listen to him. It's powerful. And then Jesus began to function. There's a quote, I love a writer called A.W. Tozer. Have you read Tozer? You know, it's an old Presbyterian. I don't know what he's read. Um, you know, we've got to check these things. Because <laughs> No, seriously, he, he's, he's read stuff I've never read. And I think I've read stuff you probably never read. We just kind of in different things. There's so much to read. And Tozer says this, a major hindrance for God's people is a hardness of heart, listen, caused by men without the Spirit preach about the Spirit. A major hindrance to the people of God is a hardness of heart caused by men without the Spirit preach about the Spirit. Now that puts me in a very challenging situation. I'm putting myself under the spotlight. So if you walk out here this morning, at the end of this day, there's no clock in here, is there? Okay, hallelujah. When we had our building, some old guy said, we need to put a clock in the back. So another old guy said, he doesn't need a clock, he needs a calendar. <laughs> and, then, and then I had an elder who would, every time I'd get up, I'd look at the clock, and i think, and he'd climb up at the back when I was getting ready and run the, the minute hand by, forward by about 15 minutes. And I, that can't be that. And then he'd, he'd just smile and then he'd pull it back again. So now it won't be long. I'm a, I'll, 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 I'll get to it. So it's important that we understand who the Holy Spirit is. Amen? He's introduced to us in the second verse of the Bible. It says this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Every new beginning in God, every new move of God, everything that God has ever done on the planet, with people, through people, whatever, is initiated by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 9 tells us that if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you're not a Christian. Your new beginning began when the Spirit of God visited you. And He came and indwelt you. Where's God the Father? He's, he's in heaven. If we could split the Trinity, He's in heaven. What's He doing? Sitting on His throne. Where's Jesus? He's at His right hand. What's He doing? Praying for us. Because do we need prayer? 
we definitely need prayer. So if you read the Old Testament, you'll read about the Father, God the Father, often. You'll have epiphanies about Jesus. There are times when the Spirit came on certain people at certain times for certain events. But he never came to stay in the Old Covenant. He visited. Then we had Jesus, and Jesus visited the planet. And he stayed for 33 years. And then Jesus said, I'm going to go away now to the disciples. And he's cried. He said, and it's better for you that I go away. And it's better because I, I'm not just going to be with you. He's not going to just be with you. He's going to be in you. So if Jesus was on the planet now, he'd be in Weinberg congregation, and we'd be sucking this life because he'd be there. Sorry for you, but it's not like that anymore. The Spirit has come to bring life to the church. Jesus could only be in one place at one time. So the Father was like the representative under the Old Covenant. Under the New Covenant, Jesus, and now we are in the age of the Spirit. He is the representative of the Godhead on the planet through you and I. Hallelujah. And the possibilities are endless. I'm trying to get excited. I'm really am trying to get excited because the possibilities are endless. The Bible says I can do all things through him because he strengthens me. And I looked up the Greek word for all. It says all. Everything. He's the key that unlocks the doors into the supernatural or the spiritual realm. And without him, it's like a blind man. The Bible says, Jesus, uh, Jesus, Paul writes to the Corinthian, to the Ephesian church, he says, this, and I've got this written on a card on my fridge. So I know it, because I go to the fridge often, you can see. But it's, <laughs> I don't have to laugh so loud, I mean, I mean, he says this, I keep asking, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know him better. I go to the fridge, there it is, and I say, Lord, I want you please to give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation because I want to know you better. I know a little bit. The Bible says we see through a glass darkly. We, we don't see it all, but I want, I want, do you want more? I want more. It's like a blind man, and he goes into this magnificent, let's call it a palace, and it's, it's full of magnificent, ornate, expensive, over-the-top stuff. And he can't see, but, he, but he, he feels it. He experiences it. He can, he can sense it. There's something about this place. And it's magnificent. And, and they're leading him through and they're telling him it's this. And, this. and he's trying to imagine. He's trying to get it. Because this place is fantastic. Then a little 10-year-old guy runs through there. And his parents are running after him. Hey, Johnny, Johnny, don't, don't, don't touch ah, Don't touch the vases. Don't. He sees it. But he doesn't, he doesn't appreciate it. One needs revelation. And another needs wisdom. You see, the child needs wisdom. He needs to be told. He needs to understand. He needs to... He needs to get told, this is, this my boy is worth, this vase is worth, this is, this is laid with gold. This is, he needs to get wisdom to understand the value of what's in there.
The blind man needs revelation. He needs his eyes open. He needs to be able to see. And sometimes the church, we like blind men and women in this place of the magnificence of God. And we sense something, but we don't see it. We can't, we can't grasp it. Or otherwise, we're like the little 10-year-old. We just run through. We, we, don't, we don't give any credence to what we actually are seeing. We need both. We need a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we know him. I, I can know God cerebrally. I mean, in Otsur, and I said, <laughs> there's, a, there's an Indian guy there, Segi. I've met him now. He was very worried about me. And I said to him, in the Bible, if I had to say to you this morning, turn to the book of Nahum. Everybody would go, Nahum, um, Nahum. He said, in the Bible, Nahum. And then you'd take your Bible and you'd start like this. I've missed it. Look, it's got an index. What do you? It's got an index. It's an index. Mine's on page 980. So, so preachers go, you know, turn to Nahum. I know the page. And it's in the Bible where those pages are still stuck together because you haven't read their memo. You know that place? So I said to him, you know, why, why do we memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, whatever? When it's in, the, it's in the book. I'm not impressed with people who can rattle off all the books of the Bible. Do you know what's in the book? Don't tell me you know the books if you just know them by their title. Well, I don't know where Nahum is, so I go to the index. <laughs> and I, the next night in my devotions, guess what? Nahum. I better look where that is. You understand what I'm saying? And, and we know it cerebrally, but God wants us to know it in the heart. He wants it to affect us. Jesus affected people. People wanted to be with him. All the sinners and the outcasts. You know what they called him? You're a wine bibber. You're a friend of sinners. You hang out with prostitutes. A friend of mine went and planted a church. Some people will know him. His name's Steve up in a little area in the eastern free state called Clarence. And uh, he was away from Cape Town and came back. His wife was ill and he took her to Kingsbury Hospital. And he was in his bucky because he bought a farm. And as he left Kingsbury and turned into Main Road in Claremont, he'd just gone a little way. And the, the canopy, the door of the canopy flew open. So he pulled off. But he stopped in a very unfortunate space because the ladies of the street were advertising their wares just around there and he didn't know it and he got out and he closed the door and then he looked and the ladies were approaching him he said the first thing I said he said oh God please let nobody see me <laughs> because we're afraid of what people will say if we hang out with people like that and we cannot be we cannot be moved by the fear of man they need Jesus. But anyway, he said he jumped in his bucky and he drove. He got out of there quickly. He wasn't going to wait for anybody to see him. We must have wisdom. We must have revelation. And I can't get revelation just cerebrally. I can be, I can be, I can have so many degrees I look like a thermometer. I mean, I can really know this stuff, but I have no heart for it. I have no heart for it. You know that? cliche, you know, I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. That's a good thing for Christians. We care for people. That's what makes John, Joshua generation 
amazing. This is family. This is together. You're in it. The first time I went to a Joshua Generation Church, I went to Sunningdale. I sat down, but I'll just be, I'll just be incognito. I was so, afterwards, there's so many people saying, oh, you knew, hi, how's it? I just felt, just go away. I just want to sit. The, the welcome was overwhelming. Then I went to another church. I went for four weeks. Nobody even spoke to me. Nobody said hello. I thought, well, blow you, you Christians. <laughs> I'm coming here. I've got needs, you know, and I sit. Nobody even asks anything about me. Because people are so embroiled in their own little worlds. But God teaches us in these in Joshua generation, no, it's, it's bigger than that. So traveling around, it's just, it's wonderful. I see all these amazing things. The Holy Spirit was there at the beginning, as I said. In John chapter 1, now I've got to turn to these things because I didn't give you any of these. 32 and 34. This is John the Baptist. He gave this testimony. He said, I saw, this is at Jesus' baptism. You remember I spoke to you about what Mark wrote? This is what John wrote, he said, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove. This is John the Baptist, not John who's writing. This is the Baptist. I used to be a Baptist. Yeah. You, you don't hold that against me. Yeah. I, saw, I, saw, <laughs> I saw the Spirit come down from heaven. Baptists are so narrow-minded, they look through a keel with both eyes. Um. <laughs> I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. Listen, I would not have known. I would not have known. Except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Then he said this, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. The Spirit, are oh, you such a star. I'll, I've got a chocolate in my bag. I'll give it to you after. It's all right. That is, that is an amazing scripture. I would not have known. You wouldn't have known the Son of God? This, he said, I wouldn't have known. Unless the one who told me to baptize didn't tell me the one on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain. He's the one. Jesus was one of the crowd when he got baptized in the Spirit. And suddenly stuff happened. Thank you. Jesus said this of John the Baptist. I tell you, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. That is an incredible statement. Better than Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, the poor oak. Go and get that prostitute, marry her. Who, me, Lord, yeah, you? you? You sure? Yeah, you? Because my people have prostituted themselves. And I want you to feel what I'm feeling. Greater than all the prophets. John the Baptist didn't do one miracle. He didn't do one miracle. If you met John and he invited you for lunch, it was going to be interesting. Locust dipped in honey. That's what the Bible says. He ate locusts and wild honey. Have you ever eaten a mapani worm? Mm, you close your eyes and chew. You just don't want to go down. Imagine a locust. Have you squashed a locust before and seen what comes out when you eat that? So he put honey on it to make it nice, and then he sat there in this camel skin, wild and woolly. Repent! 
kingdom of heaven is at hand. In whitewashed sepulchers. That was John the Baptist. No miracles. Why was he the greatest? John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet and he ushered in the age of the Spirit. That's why Jesus said he's the greatest. And I got that information from Dr. Michael Eaton. So it's not wrong. That's not me. Because I was in a meeting once and Michael said, and I said, why was he the greatest? And he said, you should know. Now I do know. Because he gave it to me. He ticked me off that day. He's the supreme gift in the New Testament. They are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now the sad thing is, people have wanted gifts more than they wanted fruit. And they've got gifts and they've gone, they've overplayed it. And when they get the fruit, unfortunately the fruit is full of nuts and raisins and they become fruit cakes. And they, they, they show off the spirit like they shouldn't because they, they go overboard. And Pastor Albrand looks after them at the Kellogg's Christian Center. And it's, 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 that's how it is. They, 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 they get stupid. No, there's the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit. He gives to us as He desires. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Do we? I want words of knowledge. And sometimes I get some. I want words of knowledge for the Philistines. I want to be in the shop. And God says, him, him. Go and tell him. Go and say to the guy, look. God's just shown me something. And those, the, the shock and the horror. When you say, God showed me. You can see the guy, Frick, I'm going to die. It's like Isaiah when he said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I've seen the glory of the Lord. I'm going to die. Because in the old covenant, if you saw the Lord, you were a dead man. And they said, no, no, no. Isaiah won't die. Won't die. We'll just come and, you know, we'll come and sanctify you with a coal. Burn his lips. So you can imagine poor Isaiah's lips after that. It's true. You know, we read it and you forget it. They burnt his lips, the poor guy. But he got sanctified. He was grateful. I'm scarred, but I'm sanctified. God wants us to understand. He's the supreme gift. He's there in the beginning. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, you know the day of Pentecost, when we've had debates about where they were and where the Spirit came. But the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and didn't go into the temple. Didn't go to the Holy of Holies. Came to men and women because it was a new day. And he was saying that the temple is obsolete. You know what it says in the book of Hebrews? The temple and all the sacrifices and the rituals is a, is a shadow of what's to come. And when he came, he came to people. They might have been in the temple precinct. We, 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 we don't really know. But if you've been to Jerusalem, which I haven't been, and I was having quite a debate with somebody who has been, and he explained to me how they see it. But it says this, in Jerusalem, there were God-fearing Jews. And the Spirit of God fell on those 120. And we know the story. They, they said, you drunk, man. And 
Peter sang a song. We not drunk as you suppose. We just filled with the Holy Ghost. And they came out there and he preached. And 3,000 people got saved. And they baptized 3,000 people. Where? Where did they baptize 3,000 people? What are those little things that they had for washing? What were they called? Sorry? How much? Sorry? Mikvahs. Oh, what a man. Is that Greek or Hebrew? <laughs> you don't know. They're called mikvahs, and they're like little baths, and there was water there, and there's tons of them outside the temple. That's where they baptized them. You, we're going we're gonna to get cleansed now. We baptize. Because the Jordan's not here in Jerusalem. It's miles away. 3,000 people. God-fearing Jews from every nation. In chapter 10 of Acts, Peter goes to visit Cornelius. That's the new beginning. That's the, the God-fearing Jews. That's the birth of the church. That day when the Spirit fell, the church is birthed. Chapter 10, Peter goes and visits Cornelius. In Peter's day, to go to a Gentile house is unheard of. Unheard of. He goes to the Gentile house. And it says this of Cornelius. He was a God-fearing man. So they were God-fearing Jews. They get the presence of the Spirit. These God-fearing Gentiles, they get. And Peter gets into serious trouble. Serious trouble. And so the, the apostles call him in. They say to him, how dare you go into a Gentile home and eat? How dare you do that? And this is what he said. He said, well, you know, I felt God was calling me. I had this vision. and So I went and you know, that's, that's my lot. And they said, well, you know, explain to us what you did. And in chapter 11, when he's explaining his actions, he says this, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? Here's the key. When they heard this, they had no further objections. They praised God saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles the power of the Spirit into life. No more objections. It was a racial problem. It was a racial problem. And it got resolved by the Holy Spirit coming on people and changing their attitude. We've got racial problems. Do we need God? We don't need debates. We don't need meetings. We don't. We need the power of God to give us a kingdom understanding, a kingdom mentality, a kingdom vision. After Jesus was resurrected, it says what? For 40 days or 50 days, what did he do? He taught them about the kingdom. The kingdom, the kingdom. We've got to have a kingdom culture. We've got so many cultures and we have meetings and discuss cultures. No, no, we've got to have power to discuss the power, the, the kingdom culture. That'll change it. That's what we need. The whole world needs it. Kingdom culture. Christianity is an experiential faith. You don't just read the book. You know those little promise boxes you have? You know the little bread? Little bread, and then you've got promises in. And then, you know, you have your quiet time. As you're leaving in the morning, you pull a little promise. Thank you, Jesus. And then you pull one out one day, and it says, 
Whoever wants to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You think, well, I'm not having that for today. Because in the promise boxes, there's none of those verses. They're all just such lovely little promise verses. Don't use that for your quiet time. Put it in the dark place in the cupboard away. I'd rather read the book. Amen. Paul is in Athens in Acts chapter 17. This is what it says. I'm not making a theology, but it's an observation. Because I've got to watch these theologians. It would be nice. Because afterwards they report you. While Paul was waiting in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace. Today he reasoned with them, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with them. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then in verse 21 it says, um, All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. Have you seen theologians talking and listening to the latest ideas of how we think we can interpret this verse? And it's so complicated you need, you know, degrees. Listen, the first guys were fishermen. Fishermen. I've sat at Cork Bay. And I've seen them come in, and they, they, they speak so badly, they change the color of the sky. You know, you, you hear this story. They say they swear, they, 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 it's just the sky goes blue. It changes color, especially if a guy throws a snook in the wrong place. I mean, and Jesus chose men like that. And he said, come follow me, I'll make you fishes of men. What? We think we have to know we must know it. We must read it. Paul says to Timothy, you must study to show yourself approved. But you can't just know it cerebrally. It must get into your heart. That's where the power lies. He's in Athens. In Athens. In verse 20, 32, it says this. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we, we want to hear you again on the subject. Because they're the debaters. They're the philosophers. That's Athens. Um, at that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was a guy whose name I can't pronounce. He was a member of a group I can't pronounce. And also a woman named Damaris and a few others. So in Athens, Paul didn't have great success. In the next chapter, in chapter 18 of, of Acts, Paul goes to um, Corinth. When he writes to the Corinthians, I sticking my neck out now. Paul learned something in Athens. It says he reasoned with them. He debated with them. He chatted with them. They were, they were good at doing that. So he took that on. And this is what he writes to the Corinthians. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. 
In the Corinthians, they're a shocking bunch. Now you'll say, yeah, well, he probably needed to do that in the Corinthian church. No, I think Paul learned something. I need to do that wherever I go. I need the power of God in my life in order to be effective. There's a, a guy who sends lots of messages out in South Africa. And there was a message sent out. And there was a phone number. So I texted him when what he suggested might happen didn't happen. And I said, it would be good if, you know, you send these messages that if it doesn't happen, you can text us and let us know. And then I got a phone call. And um, he said, hello. And I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> I know where you're coming from. Now, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to, but people claim as claim things in God as if they are the mouthpiece, the voice. My brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you something. You will know when the voice is from God because it will come with authority and you will we'll be humbled by it. We won't be thinking, when Jesus spoke, what did they say of him? You, you do not speak like the teachers of the law. You've got authority. Now, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that we celebrated, he lives in us. That's what we've got to get. That's what we've got to get in order to be effective for the kingdom. You go to some churches and they preach and there's nothing wrong theologically, but it's like a savannah. It's dry, but you can drink it. It's that kind of, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong, but there's life. There's no life. The life of the Spirit, we need the life of the Spirit. Amen? Paul used the what he knew key in Athens. And in Corinth, he used the who he knew key. And we've got to start learning the who we know key to unlock things. God's given us abilities. We, we had a situation years ago where uh, some of our guys were praying around certain things and God would give them like, like vision. And one guy had this picture of a lady in a supermarket in Musenberg who was buying groceries and he could see what clothes she had on and he felt God say, you must go there, find her and pay for her groceries. So he went to checkers in Musenberg, walked around, she wasn't there. And he was thankful. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. <laughs> and then he looked, there she was, just like she appeared. She was at the top. So he pushed past everybody, said, excuse me. And she had a little plastic, those little bank bags, little plastic. She was taking money. And he said, ma'am, 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 I'm a Christian. I was praying and God showed me you in a vision. And God said, I must come and find you and I must pay for your groceries today. The lady behind the, the till and the checkout lady, they started crying because there's power. You see, I can do that, but if I don't have the life of God in me, it's just I do that. But if I do it with the life of God in me, it affects people. The sad thing is we don't keep it up because the first person to be neglected is always the third person. We do it, and then the flesh is, the flesh kind of takes over. We've got, we've got 
go to fellowship with him. We've got to keep fellowshipping with him. I'm going to end with this. I've done well, eh? I mean, time-wise. No, I'm serious. What, what time did I start? I've known her for too long, too. Half past nine, she says. Are you bored? Okay. You see, the Christian faith is, I believe it, then I see it. It's not I see it, and then I'll believe it. No, I believe it, and then I see it. And between believing it and seeing it, that's called faith. That's the faith gap. Lord, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you shed your blood for me. I believe that your body was broken for me. I believe that I, if I accept you as my Savior, I'll be saved. There's faith. And then I get the assurance I'm saved. I believe it first. Then I begin to see it. Amen? Manifested. All right. Two scriptures I'm going to end with. Both out of the New Living Translation. Sorry. Ephesians 3.19 says this. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. <laughs> May you experience the love of Christ. Yeah, that's, what's that? NIV, ESV. NI. Is that NLT? Really? May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great, you will never fully understand it. How can I get something that I can't understand? How can I do that? How can I know this love of Christ that goes beyond knowing? That's what it says in the NIV. Paul says that you may know the love of Christ that is beyond knowing. Is that what it says? Can you change it to the NIV? To know this love. I'll give you two chocolates. To know this love, that you may be full to the measure of all the fullness. How do you know something that surpasses knowing? How can I know something I can't know? Do you understand what it says? That's what Paul wants. I can only know it by revelation. I can only know it if the Holy Spirit comes and enlightens me. I can, that's the only way I can know it. He says this in Philippians 4, 7, in the New Living Translation. Then you'll experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. I get a peace that I don't even understand. So I believe it, and then it becomes mine. No, I'm, I'm seeing is believing. No, 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 I believe it. It becomes mine. I believe that this love of God is for me, and it'll help me understand. I believe this peace of God. We've got to own it. We've got to believe it. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I do have a Greek friend. Somebody said, I know a little Greek. He's got a cafe down in the corner near me. And the Greek word, <laughs> the Greek word for to know means this, to be aware, to feel, to be resolved, to experience. To know is to know experientially. And then that word in, 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 in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, that surpasses knowledge. The knowledge thing is, what can be stored in the human brain or in the data banks of the human mind. Now, this is an amazing thing. The mind is an amazing thing. The devil loves your mind, by the way. It's his playground. So he throws little thoughts to take you off track. But Paul says, I want you to know. 
experience. I want you to know this love. That passes knowledge. In order to know, must go beyond our natural ability. And Jesus said this of the Spirit. He will take what is mine and make it known to you. That's his job. That's what he's going to do. He's going to take from what is the word, the written word, from who Jesus was, the living word, and he's going to make it known to us. I tell you what, I want that. Don't you want that? In your workplace, just think in your workplaces or wherever, if you're retired and you play golf, most people in Joshua Generation surf, I don't. Um, just, just think if God gave you words of knowledge. Just think of how powerful it would be. You can go to someone and say, listen, did, did you have an accident when you were a young guy? No. Like when you were like 24. No. How do you know that? God's just shown me, you know. God wants you to know that he was, did this happen? Yeah. I tell you, that's the power of God. That's the power of God. I want that. Please, God, I, I say, please give it. And every now and again, I get one. Last time I came here, I said there were many who sat with folded arms. I went to Edgemead, and God gave me a word. I, I said, there's a, there's, there's a lady who's got a, like a dark or a black coat on, and it's got different buttons on it, because you lost a button and you've put different buttons on it. Please, God, help me. She said, it's me. Hallelujah. I'm the man. I'm the man. Because, you see, I'm stepping out of my comfort zone into the realm of the Spirit. And that's why we need Him to help us. He gives us what? Confidence, courage to do it. But in the natural, no, I can't. And before you know it, no, I, I'm, not, no, I'm not you. Somebody gives you, gives, you get words from people. God speaks to you in the worship. You say, ah, <laughs> not me. Names come. This is what you feel, God. Because it strengthens that muscle, that muscle, that knowing ability in God. And that it, 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 it enlightens people and it, it enhances the worship and it takes us places. That's what God wants to do. This morning, God wants to pour his love out into your heart. Like it says in Romans chapter 5. It says this, therefore, when you see a therefore in the Bible, you must know what it's there for. So, therefore, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Past tense. I have been justified. You have been justified by faith. You have peace with God. You say, I don't have any peace with God. Well, are you sure you've been justified? You know what justified means? You stood in a dock. I stood in a dock. I was guilty of a crime, a heinous crime. And I stood before this, whatever he was, and he had his paraphernalia on. And he said, how do you plead? I said, I'm guilty. He said, I'm going to fine you 50,000 rand or five years. I said, no, I don't have any money. Five years, sir. And he took that wiggy thing off. And he came walking down. And I recognized him. He'd been at school with me. He said, you know what I'll do for you, Jeff? I know you're a good guy. I'll pay the fine for you. I said, you're kidding me. He said, I'll pay for it. I said, and? He said, you can go free. That's what Jesus did. He stood guilty. He said, I'll pay for you. I'll pay for you. 
That's justified. Then it says this at the end of that little passage. He says, hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured his love into our hearts by the Spirit. I want you to experience the love of God. That comes how? By the Spirit. I'm, I'm excited about that. I hope you are. Amen.